You could spend the weekend doing the same old whatever, or you could conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hey, everybody, what's going on? Welcome to another edition of the Auburn Undercover Podcast. I am Keith Niebuhr, and I'm joined by Jason Caldwell of Inside the Auburn Tigers. We're both under the 24-7 sports umbrella. We both cover Auburn, and we got a lot to talk about. This is the day after Auburn's 35-28 win at Ole Miss. I've been calling it a big win. Jason, I think you have too. It was a big win for Auburn, was it not? Yeah, it doesn't matter who you beat right now. Um, yeah. You know, the way you play, finding a way to win, um, had some adversity, um, you know, with some, you know, normally special teams is a strength for Auburn, and you had some special teams issues you had to overcome. So, uh, overall, uh, just, hey, we've seen everything this year already in 2020. Um, just winning games and finding a way to win right now makes everything a big win at the moment. All right, Jason, we got to get to the news of the day, and it's it's not good news for Auburn. And, boy, it just seems like the hits keep on coming. Uh, it started this summer with a few a few players opting out, and then – uh, you know, some injuries and COVID hit pretty hard. And, and now Brandon Council, uh, the transfer from Akron, who's really been a, a valuable, well, gosh, an invaluable piece to this offensive line, has a serious knee injury, was hurt during the game at Ole Miss. And Gus Malzahn said Sunday that he's out for the season. Jason, how big is this loss for Auburn? And who steps in for him now? Yeah, you know, if just in terms of maybe one player, it's not a huge thing because I think Keandre Jones is a guy that's a very good player and going to be a good player. Where it's big is is in potential. You're, you're Potentially, you have another injury. Brandon Council is a guy that fills in everywhere. Um, he's a guy that they you know, they used it at every position now because he worked at four positions in the a, in a preseason then played another one in the game. So he's been at all five spots really since he got on campus. Would be probably the first guy up. Um maybe at both tackle spots um, and, and maybe both guard spots, potentially center too. So that's where it's mm. the biggest deal is that it puts such a hurt on your depth. And this is already a group that doesn't have a ton of depth. So yeah. you start talking about, you know, Keandre Jones, obviously is a guy that, that is, is in the mix. I would expect him to start. Austin Trotsell has played guard. So you have him there as well. After that, that's the thing. It's a huge toss up now as to, who the next guy up would be. Would it be a Brendan Coffey, you know, at right tackle or left tackle, and you slide in Rodarius Ham, Alec Jackson's play guard? That's the thing. You've got some guys that have seen some action at other places. But, man, it, it's a big deal. But just because he's the Mr. Versatility, they, they were kind of counting on on this offensive line. At, at what point of the game was he hurt? I'm, 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 it's slipping my memory. And how did Auburn's offensive line look after he went out, Jason? Yeah, it was it was really late in the fourth quarter, and and, and yeah. uh, did a good job. I mean, had you know had had a touchdown drive there late. Keandre Jones, uh, you know, stepped up, and, and Gus Malzahn said he graded well. Um, you know, I have actually a couple of photos. I was able to take photos from the the photo deck in front of the press box, and so I had a different vantage point. A couple of photos there late of of the offensive line forming a really good pocket. Now, they gave up a sack on first down. Um, and that, But really good pocket for a throw to Anthony Swartz uh, on the sidelines um, for 11 yards. Then the next play to, to, to Seth Williams, really good pocket as well. There were a couple of really strong pockets there for Bo Nix to throw out of, and he stepped up um, and, and made a couple of, you know, maybe his best throws of the day there late. So 
that was the good news. I thought that they responded really well. Yeah, really unfortunate injury for Council and for Auburn, but you know nobody wants to hear excuses. If you know you, the next, it's next man up at this level. That's why you have eighty-five scholarship guys. Obviously, uh, Jason, you were in the stands, and actually, I should point out, uh, Council wasn't your typical grad transfer. He had two seasons remaining, and obviously, since since this season, the NCAA has ruled that uh, determined that it's not going to count against anybody. Council theoretically could still have two seasons. Uh, remaining, Jason, they expect him back next year, correct? Yeah, I think so. Uh, I think yeah. unless something changes, they would expect him to be back, yes. Okay. So not the end of the world. Hopefully uh, he'll have a speedy and uh, a successful recovery. Jason, you were at the game. You you and Mark Murphy of Inside the Auburn Tigers drove over to Oxford. You had a, a great view of, of the action. And one of the things that I, I found really interesting was a guy that uh, relates to a guy that didn't play. K.J. Britt, your, your all-SEC linebacker, fourth-year guy, uh, hurt himself earlier in the season, hasn't been playing with this hand injury that he had surgery on. But he made the trip uh, for leadership purposes. And uh, I wanted to get your thoughts on this before we kind of broke down what happened on the field. How does it work when you travel, when you take a player on the road? That counts against the number of the guys they can take, correct? Yeah, I think there's, you know, there, there's a way sometimes where they can take a guy that's a – a non-dress, but you know who knows how it works in this time frame. Yeah, it's happened yeah. before. Uh, it's not, it's not completely unusual. But normally, it's a guy that would have that much of an impact. Say a, a Jeremiah Denson, um, mm-hmm. if he didn't dress, somebody like that the last couple. So but, it's, it's somebody that has that kind of leadership qualities, but it doesn't happen a whole lot. I mean, they determined that they felt like he needed to be there. There were some, yeah. you know, some clamoring of a lack of leadership, including by by Chandler Wooten, who's opted out of the season. Uh, on Twitter the previous week, which obviously opened some eyes uh, in itself. But uh, how how badly was he needed? Do you think it had any kind of impact? You know, I think probably just to to have another set of eyes for Travis Williams is, is not a bad thing uh, when you're, yeah. especially when you're talking about two young two young guys that you know they played a lot of football the last couple of years in Kobe McLean and Owen Popo. But it's a different take when you're calling the defense you're setting the defense all the things that that middle linebacker has to do so having somebody that that is doing it now that knows it inside and out like kj Britt does is important um and from an emotional standpoint he's a guy that was you know jumping around and getting after guys there after a couple of those big stops late in the fourth quarter and having that leader um there on defense a guy that everybody looks up to um heck in pregame warm-ups you know when normally the linebackers are going through drills and Travis Williams would be throwing a football to one of them. K.J. Britt throwing a football left-handed to the other guy just to you know, practice catching a ball, doing some of those things. So he was involved in, in helping coach those guys up. Interesting. Um, I, I think that's something that NFL teams, as they evaluate K.J. Britt, are going to be uh, – make him even more impressive to them, obviously. You know, they, they're looking for character guys. Uh, so, Jason, look, uh, the offense, 238 yards passing. Bo was 20th. 23 of 30, had a touchdown pass. Um, you know, they rushed for 228 yards, and it was a balanced effort. I mean, obviously, Ole Miss's defense has really struggled. In fact, Auburn had less yardage than Ole Miss was giving up on average. However, it was a successful offensive game for the Tigers. You know, being so balanced, I'm just trying to figure out, <laughs> is it deceptive because they were playing Ole Miss, or is this an offense headed in the right direction? I guess that's what I'm looking for you to to try to answer yeah I think three weeks now they've been headed in the right direction and you know okay. obviously 
without the interceptions against South Carolina, it was a much better game for them. They you know, had a couple of 200 yards rushing, 270 passing in that game. The turnovers really were the issue there. Um, cleaned those things up. Uh, and I thought it was a step in the right direction. You're right, balance was a key. Um, finishing in the red zone was a key. And obviously Ole Miss's defense is not, not very good. Um, probably get more yardage if not for the way Auburn's defense played the Ole Miss offense. Um, by making them run the ball, you know, you, you shortened the game a little bit. So it probably cost you some yards and what you would have had offensively, mm-hmm. uh, but it helped you win the football game. So I thought I thought the offense um, easily the best performance of the year for them. All right, the red zone. Uh, Auburn looked like it was much better in the red zone. Uh, you know, that was an area that's really been a point of emphasis in the last week or so, and it needed to be because – you just can't trade field goals for touchdowns. Uh, not this year, not in this crazy year in the SEC, but really not any year. You know, why do you think they were better in the red zone this past weekend, Jason? Again, you know, we preface this by saying, again, you pointed out, look, Ole Miss doesn't have the best defense. We get that. However, uh, a struggling offense that's trying to find its identity seems to have done some of that, like you said, in the last few weeks. But specifically, why do you think they were better in the red zone? And how much does the fact that they're developing balance play into that? I think it's huge. Um, you know, when first of all, when you're able to line up and run the ball in the red zone, that's that's always the best idea. Um, and I thought they did some different things in the red zone, the two minute play. I mean, the uh, two point play, um, really nice play down there. Um, you know, which doesn't count particularly as a red zone play, but it showed some some different different takes and different things they're doing on the offense in the red zone. But they were able to line up and run the football, and um, I think Bo Nix being a a, a running threat. Uh, more uh, on Saturday plays into that as well. When you have to worry about the quarterback, and he's done a good job in his career of being a running threat in the red zone, you know, with his, I think, nine touchdowns now that he's gotten, um, which helps out some. Tank Bigsby, obviously, he's a guy that finishes runs, and so uh, three touchdowns for him the last two games. And then Sean Shivers got involved as well. But I think, you know, a combination of a more physical offensive line, I think this group is, is kind of finding their way a little bit. And then um, – determination to finish and, and, and do it, you know, by running the football, probably the biggest things. All right. Uh, we're going to talk a little bit more about offense and then we'll move over to defense. Bo had a big day, maybe his, uh, I think did probably his best game of the season. Tank Bigsby, his third straight hundred yard rushing game, Seth Williams, 150 receiving yards, plus the, the two big plays and obviously the 58 yard spectacular touchdown grab of those three, Jason, you can only pick one who would be your offensive MVP. Yeah, you know, we, we had you know a thing that we did on Sunday, and I, I picked. Yeah, that's why I'm asking uh, you. I, yeah. I picked Seth. Uh, I, I thought Bo played really well. I thought he did a great job. Tank was there. I thought the 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 way that Seth made a couple of plays. Um, you know, leaping a couple of guys over the middle, a couple of really big third down catches where he kind of sat down a little bit. Uh, I think it's it's a work in progress, but I think this group is coming together a little bit more, and you know. Hey, you know, Anthony Schwartz talked about it. Eli Stove talked about it after the loss at South Carolina. Say, you know, quarterback wide receivers got to get on the, you know, the page a little bit more. I think week by week they're doing some of those things. We saw them really together on Saturday. And, uh, but I thought Seth, um, you know, the way he played and then his catch and run there at the end, that's, that's the side of Seth that people haven't seen as much over the last two years because he's in much better shape now. That's not a play he probably makes last year he makes a lot of plays but he doesn't make that catch and run and leave guys like he did that speed that he's added has has given him an extra dimension i think it's something that they can build on moving forward 
Well, look, uh, look, Jason, they're playing another team that's got a defense that ain't so great, and that's LSU. Uh, some improvement, I guess, I, I, against South Carolina. I mean, they beat the death out of them, but when you looked at the yards per play, South Carolina still got just a ridiculous amount of, amount of yardage every snap. But uh, what does Auburn have to do? And, and look, we're going we're gonna to break down this game in great detail in a few days, but what does Auburn, you know, you look at this on the surface, what do they absolutely have to do against LSU to score points? And where do you think they can exploit best exploit the LSU defense? Yeah. I, I you know, I kind of touched on it on something I wrote on Sunday night. You got to avoid third and long situations, negative plays. That's the thing that has been a killer for this Auburn offense. And, you know, I think the thing you don't want to do is have to drop back and, and, and throw the football one thing LSU does well still is rush the passer, B.J. Ojolari, who we've seen in the recruiting cycle, um, a couple of big plays against South Carolina. They've got some some edge rushers that can get you. Um, I think you need to stay ahead of the chains and get try to get downhill. That's that's you know that's the thing that LSU is, is giving up. They've given up some rushing yards. South Carolina was able to run the football on them uh, with the running backs. I think Auburn will have those opportunities. What you don't want to do is is put yourself in third and long situations and be forced to throw the football. And, um, you know, you want to, you want to dictate, you know, what you're able to do. And, and, and that means third and four, third and threes. Um, they did that for the most part against Ole Miss. And, and that's a huge difference. All right, let's talk a little defense. And we start with Roger McCreary because he was a guy, uh, Auburn starting quarterback that people thought would, was prime for a big season. You know, obviously um, last year, Auburn had Noah Igbenogany and, and some other really good defensive backs. We see that on Sunday, uh, Daniel Thomas, <clears throat> excuse me, a safety with the Jacksonville Jaguars had a, a, just a terrific play and he's having a good rookie season. Uh, so they lost a lot of guys and McCreary was expected to really step into that, you know, alpha role in the secondary, especially at cornerback. But, you know, he had a fairly rough start. I thought, and then the last couple of weeks, he's sort of come on here, uh, big interception on Saturday, uh, he did some other things too, Jason. Is he taking some steps forward? Is he becoming the guy that people thought he would be, or does he still have a ways to go there? I think he's. I think he's kind of figuring out what it takes to be the number one guy at corner. That's that's sometimes it's hard to to become that guy. You know what he's done a good job of is is clamping down. You know, as he's now had two interceptions in the end zone. Had that one big one against Kentucky at the end of the first half. That that one against Ole Miss was was. It turned out to be really huge, uh, you know, intercepting ball on the first drive there. And then and he sniffed out the fake field goal. He had a couple of big plays. And uh, I thought that, you know, you look at it and thought the Auburn defense did a good job of, of trying to keep everything in front of them. And obviously it, it, it probably going to be the plan again against LSU as, 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 you know, just explosive as their wide receiver group is. So be another opportunity for them to come up and tackle, get guys on the ground. And I think that's probably what they do the best. Uh, you talk about Auburn keeping things in front of them. It was frustrating, I'm sure, for Auburn fans to watch Saturday's game. You know, Ole Miss had 25 first downs, total yards 444. That's a lot less than they usually get. However, 283 on the ground, Jason. Boy, you you give up 283 rushing yards, and you're usually going to lose. But that might have been. It sure sounds like that was the plan, at least, to keep things in front, uh, not give up the huge play deep. Uh, Auburn, a lot of you pointed this out to me. We were talking during the game, a lot of three man fronts. Uh, so that was conducive to allowing Ole Miss to run the ball. 
you think there'll be a similar plan against – I mean, you're saying you think there's going to be a similar plan against those two. Was that the right plan? I mean, Auburn won and held Ole Miss to 28 points. During the game, tough to watch. In hindsight, was it the right decision? Yeah, I, I think when you look at it, the one thing you can't do is get in a track meet. Uh, we saw it last year against LSU where Auburn gave up yards, um, but they made LSU drive 13 plays, 12 plays, um, and you try to frustrate a team. You know, it, Auburn's offense wasn't good enough to take advantage of that last year in Baton Rouge. Um, and we'll see if that works again. I, I would imagine we'll see more of that against LSU if Miles Brennan's back at quarterback because um, they, you know, their team that throws it a bunch and they haven't really run it a ton until Saturday when they had a, you know, a couple of true freshmen playing quarterback against South Carolina. But I would expect to see Auburn try to do more of that again and say, look, we're going to make you take your time and score. We're not going to allow you to throw it over the top. And that's what LSU wants to do. I wouldn't be shocked to see Auburn do that some again. Um, you got to create some pressure out of that. Auburn was able to do that some last year with Derek Brown and Marlon Davidson up front. You know, you can only do it enough if a team's throwing the football. Um, if you can get yeah. pressure out of it, if not, you're going to have to start sending guys and then you have to change things up a little bit. That's right, Jason. It is risky, obviously. I mean, it worked yesterday, it worked Saturday, but you know, uh, you can allow a quarterback to get in a rhythm if you're not getting any pressure on him. You can allow a team that scores fast to score slowly, which can wear down your defense and also. When it keeps your offense off the field, here's an Auburn offense that seems to be gaining some momentum, uh, momentum, seems to be getting in the rhythm. Well, that can disrupt that, too. So there's no perfect way to play a team with balance. I, I'll tell you, it's tough. But uh, Auburn's defense, to, to make that happen, they're going to still have to figure out how to put some pressure on the quarterback if they're going to do this similar game plan. The Auburn defensive line, are you seeing progress there? Uh, what do you, What's your general impression of that group right now? Because – from you know my point of view, it still seems like there's some good negative yardage plays, Jason, uh, fairly solid at times, but other times still not getting a great push, getting pushed back, um, running uh, ball carriers, getting tackled forward instead of tackled, you know, at the point of impact. Uh, it, it's it, it, you know it's it's been a struggle, I think, at times. Yeah, it would still be probably my my biggest issue. On either okay. offense or defense right now would be – Defensive line. Yeah, I think it would be defensive Okay, line. I, okay. Know, Wooden has played really well. Um, yeah. He's done a good job. Um, you know, not as much push in the middle as you would have liked so far from Tyrone Truesdale and Daquan Newkirk. A lot of that's because they played so many snaps. Um, you, know, DeAndre, you know, DeAndre Butler's getting back healthier again. We still haven't seen Jay Hardy. Uh, Marquise Burks hasn't played very much at all. You know, Zykevis Walker was back a little bit, but, you know, he missed uh, the South Carolina game. So, they're not much depth in the middle right now for them. And when you're asking guys, and that's another reason why, if you if you ask guys to play, you know, a bunch of snaps um, in tempo, and that's the thing that, you know, Ole Miss did some of Saturday, but Auburn kind of took them out of it a little bit um, when you take some of that passing game away. But it's all missed right out of the gate. The first three plays of the game, sideways, fast, sideways run, try to tire out, tire out that defensive line as early as possible. And, um, you know, they were able to, to move the ball on the second series and get down the field. And um, so I think you look to me, we, we talked about Big Cat. Big Cat Bryant's got to be a guy that's delivered he, a little bit more of that Saturday, but he still hasn't finished. And so can he continue to, to get there as he gets a little bit healthier week by week? That's that may be the big yeah. deal heading into Saturday. Jason, you hear people talk uh, 
Yeah, look, Rodney Garner may look at this stuff differently than us. He, he's with these guys every day. He, he may have a totally different perspective. Same with defensive coordinator Kevin Still Garner being the D-line coach at Auburn. But setting the edge, it's so crucial. And there have been points where that has become an issue for Auburn. Has, the, has it not? Yeah, I think anytime you're so focused on trying to get pressure sometimes or um, you're crashing down a little bit. You know, Colby Wooden, a couple of those plays did a good job of doing that. Uh, we won't, you know, won't see as nearly as much zone read out of LSU as you saw from Ole Miss with the quarterback runs, and that's where things yeah. really hurt you—the side-to-side run game. So it'll be a little different look from LSU this week. Um, and so you, you start talking about, you know, down the road for this team. You know, Jared Garantano and Tennessee might run it some, but it's more quarterback run, a quarterback scramble for him. Mississippi State not going to run the quarterback a bunch. Alabama not going to run the quarterback a bunch. Texas A&M will at the end, but. So the Saturday was probably the biggest deal for them in terms of doing some of that in terms of the quarterback run and, and that, uh, that zone read game. But, uh, you know, I think anytime you talk about setting the edge, you know, widening out too much in terms of pass rush, um, you got to get some help from the inside guys too because if uh, you create a, a bowl, if you're at, your outside guys are edge rushing, they get upfield too deep and your inside guys aren't pushing at all, then you're creating some running lanes for quarterbacks. That's something that, that this team has to be careful of. Jason, I asked you this for offense, and I'm going to ask you the same thing for defense. A couple keys this weekend. Again, like I got to point out, we're going to we're going to go in depth on this game later in the week. But a couple early keys as you you know as Auburn's defense faces LSU and and uh, yeah, how would you? I, I guess you've kind of already answered this. You feel like you you've got to maybe play similar to last week, not let them get behind you. But so just a couple of keys, who's got to step forward. Maybe that's the the better way to attack this question here. Who's really got to step forward for Auburn yeah. in that defense. I think you're, you know, we've talked about it tonight. I think your, your front seven has to play exceptionally well if you do that. Uh, and it may be front six, uh, but Jamie Sherwood, he could be the key to this whole game because he's a safety that will step up there, um, play some linebacker, do some things. And, Hey, you know, a guy that we saw more of Saturday, um, you know, and we could see more of against LSU is Ladarius Tennyson, who can who can deliver a little bit more pop out of that nickel position. If yeah. But, you know, a little, little banged up there at the end of the game. And, um, you know, if he's not full speed, then you may be seeing more Ladarius Tennyson. Um, he's a guy that could also kind of play a, a hybrid linebacker if you played that 3-3 three, three and could step him yeah. in. But I, yeah. no matter what you do, you, you, if you play that, you can't give up 283 rushing to LSU um, because if you do that, then you're going to have given up 500 yards of offense because they're going to throw it more than Ole Miss did on Saturday. Yeah, Tennyson's an interesting prospect, obviously, an interesting player, excuse me, because as a prospect, he did a little bit of everything in his high school, Rackledge High down in the Space Coast area of Florida. Jason, I could actually see him being a guy that you used to blitz once in a while, quite frankly. He's got such incredible acceleration and lower – and a low center of gravity. I think he can drive into a quarterback, drive into a running back. I don't think he's going to be a guy, and I say this and watch it be the opposite, but I don't think he's going to be a guy that gets run over too much. I'm sure it's just a matter of him kind of learning how to play college defense. So this is a different level, obviously. Uh, Jason, last question here. Uh, yeah, a lot of celebrating by the team after that win. Yeah, they needed it, no question about it. What's the mindset? What do you think, this, what do you think the heads are right now of the Auburn Tigers? I think they're probably in a good spot um, because of uh, again, had you won that game fifty to seven, you might have felt really good about yourself, but you might not know 
what it takes. This team has played a lot of close games, um, and and they've been through those things before. But to do it the way they did Saturday, getting a couple of stops and getting a couple of big drives on offense, I think that was as needed as anything this team could possibly have. If you go out there and you know drive down and kick a 52-yard field goal, then you'd feel good, but you don't feel as good as you do as making an explosive play. And heck, the offense had five drives over 79 yards. They did the things that they've been needing to do, which is stay ahead of the chains, put some things together. Um, hey, connect on third downs. Um, they did all those things then defensively. Um, bend but don't break. And then when you had to have it, you got a three and out. And so I think it was probably the uh, the thing that they needed the most in terms of the way it happened. Uh, Jason, coaches always say the next game is the biggest game. But it seems like when you look at where they're at, three and two, fortunate to be three and two, no question. Uh, and then look at what's coming up. You got LSU this weekend at home, then an off week, then Mississippi State, Tennessee, and then you finish with Alabama, Texas. And now, if Auburn's going to finish with a winning record, it, uh, look, it almost certainly has to win this weekend. Is this the biggest game to date of the season in your mind, given that the off week's coming and you've got two winnable games after that before you play Bama and Texas A&M? I think because of now the way it sets up, you, you win this game going into a bye week and you give yourself a chance to really build some momentum for the end of the year. Um, so, yeah, I think it probably, in terms of where it is um, and, and what you've done so far this year, I think, yes, it sets up it to be the biggest game that we've seen so far for Auburn, and um, just because of what it could mean positively or negatively uh, going into that bye week. All right, Jason Caldwell of Inside the Auburn Tigers. Thank you. Great stuff. Uh, that'll do it for this edition of the Auburn Undercover Podcast. We'll be back a few more times this week to preview Auburn and LSU. Uh, boy, Jason, it's uh, uh, it's been a heart-stopping <laughs> season already. So much drama, so much excitement, highs, lows, peaks, valleys, everything already. And we're only halfway through the season with five more to go. For this edition, uh, actually for Jason Caldwell, Again, I'm Keith Niebuhr of Auburn Undercover. That will do it for this edition of the Auburn Undercover podcast. We'll see you again soon. It was a very bright, shining light, Sarajevo, and they needed to kill that light. From producers Matt Damon and Ben Affleck, explore how art and music sustained hope during the siege of Sarajevo, thanks in part to humanitarians and the band U2. U2, they represent a personification of our resistance. The Hollywood Reporter hails Kiss the Future, moving and inspirational. Kiss the Future! Viva Sarajevo! Kiss the Future, new documentary now streaming exclusively on Paramount+. Plus. Go to Paramount Plus to try it free. Terms apply.